Good afternoon and welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, we have a number of people we're going to be speaking with today of real big events coming up, not next week, not next month, but it's going to be a real big one in November. And the person spearheading that event is uh, a CEO and president of the Northwest African American Museum, Lanisha de Bartolabin. She's on the line with us right now. We've had one meeting. The word is spreading, Lanisha, and people are really excited about the 60th anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. only visit to Seattle, November of 1961. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest once again. You're always doing good things. So why don't you uh, share with our listeners a little bit about how you came up with this concept to honor uh, Dr. King. Well, thank you so much, Brother Eddie and Brother Hayward. Thank you for the work that you all do and staying on the front lines of this work. The Northwest African American Museum is just delighted to be on the call today to discuss this 60th anniversary commemoration of Dr. King's single visit to Seattle, 1961, at the invitation of his Morehouse uh, College and Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity brother, Reverend Dr. Samuel McKinney of Mount Zion. Dr. King came November 8th and spent a couple of days here in Seattle, and we believe that that visit helped to transform this city. And so we, 60 years later, will look back as we look around and as we look forward into the future. And so NAM is just delighted to organize a countywide committee that will collectively help us organize a three-day commemoration that will take place during those exact, on um, the exact anniversary days of Dr. King's visit here in Seattle. And Dr. King once said that love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. His words are classic. And what really inspires us is uh, when Dr. King said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? So that, that theme is really going to guide this three-day commemoration. And uh, we will literally walk in the footsteps uh, that Dr. King took. We'll be visiting those sacred sites, those um, historic sites that he visited when he was here. He went to Garfield High School. He uh, worshipped at Mount Zion. He uh, stopped in the Home of Good Barbecue in the Central District. He uh, spoke at uh, the University of Washington. He spoke at Temple de Hirsch. He spoke at Eagles Auditorium because one of the churches here refused uh, to open up their pulpit to Dr. King, because at that time they considered him to be too controversial. So we will be looking back at the history, at the heritage, and at the hope that uh, his three-day visit, what that meant for Seattle then and now. And Lanisha, uh, I had an opportunity. Uh, matter of fact, I was one of the first batch that Reverend McKinney baptized when he got here back in the late 50s. But uh, he shared a lot of information about uh, Dr. King. Uh, matter of fact, uh, he uh, spent one year at Morehouse uh, with Dr. King. He got drafted into the military. It was during World War II. And uh, Reverend, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. at that time was uh, like 16 years old. I think he entered Morehouse when he was 14 or 15. And uh, the other person, when he, at the University of Washington, that was arranged by a late Native American activist by the name of Hank Adams who told his professor about Dr. King being here and arranged to have that, that presentation made at the University of Washington. And uh, Reverend McKinney also told me about uh, 
the church where they refused. As a matter of fact, they went down and uh, I guess one of the deacons in the church had offered Reverend McKinney some money. He said, we don't want your money. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it was, it really, and that's why they ended up speaking at the Eagles Auditorium to have a downtown presence. So those are just some of the blanks that I can fill in. As a proud member of the committee of uh, the uh, 60th uh, anniversary of Dr. King's only visit to Seattle, now, uh, Larry Gossett, uh, who's going to be on after you, uh, was a, he was a sophomore at Garfield. That was before he, he left to, to go to Franklin. I don't know what circumstances that Brother Gossett left Garfield to go to Franklin, but he left Garfield. He was in the audience, and also another committee member, Dr. Carver Gaten, I think was working at Garfield then. I think he might have been doing an a, a internship or a, a, whatever they do before they become a teacher. But uh, I know he was there as well. And there were two assemblies at, at Garfield. So uh, now in terms of, uh, and I want to have Hayward chime in a minute because he has some memories too. But I want to find out this, uh, there are several committees that's been formed and people want to know how they can participate. This is something people who uh, uh, adhere to the philosophy and ideology of Dr. King, it's not going to be no debates. This is about Martin Luther King Jr. So, but uh, a lot of people want to know how they can participate. Is there a website set up? Uh, are committees already formed? Uh, is there access to those committees? I know I might be ahead of you right now, but then again, you're such a good organizer. I've uh, First time I've been on a Zoom call where we had three or four different conference rooms in the one Zoom call and you report back to the general meeting. That was too cool. Hayward and I got to get that one. <laughs> well, this is such a such an important task that we are engaged in, and it takes many hands to make this successful. So there, there's plenty of opportunity for individuals who are interested to come on board. This is, this is multifaceted work. We have several committees, as you mentioned. We're going to be conducting oral histories, for instance, to capture these rich stories, like the one that you just shared, uh, Brother Eddie. There are so many um, recollections and memories and stories that people remember about those three days in 1961. So we'll be conducting oral histories. We'll be engaging in um, educational curriculum development for this because we want to ensure that our young people, uh, students and millennials and young people just know and understand uh, what what happened and what this meant. And so there will be also community lifting activities. We'll be engaging in a wide variety of activities during these three days, and it requires a lot of planning. So we encourage individuals to contact the Northwest African American Museum if they have an interest in, in um, coming on board to help organize this event. Well, Anisha, I know. And what, what are the dates? I want people to. Go ahead, go ahead, Hayward, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. The dates are critical. Yes, definitely. Mark your calendar, save the date. This will be held November 7, 8, and 9. It will be a Sunday through a Tuesday. So and we, we've organized uh, this three-day event into thematic um, areas of focus. So day one will be a day of connection. We will uh, have a bus tour of the various sites that Dr. King visited when he was here, and we will have some, some activations and some historical remembrances at each of those sites. We will also have a, um, an inspirational 
concert on that day, uh, Sunday. Dr. King was first and foremost, he was a Baptist minister um, with, with the mantle of ministry on his life and, and um, walking in the way of love and peace, um, revolutionary love and radical peace were um, critically important to him as a minister, as a pastor. And so we will begin um, this uh, three-day commemoration um, at, uh, at the church house. And we're so grateful that Reverend Dr. Phyllis Belmonte is on the committee uh, representing Mount Zion. Uh, and uh, we will be having some activations there as well. And then day two will be our day of action. We will have youth activations, and we're so grateful that um, Martin Luther King III, uh, Dr. King's son, will be with us uh, here in Seattle as a part of this three-day commemoration. He will be uh, speaking to the community and a part of these uh, activities. And then day three will be a day of reflection. We'll have some um, a variety of activities that will be centered on community uplift. I think I think that's really excellent. This sounds like such a great program. I'm all, I'm on the committee also to the listenership, and you know my love and belief in Dr. King. And just in the spirit of transparency, it was First Presbyterian Church. I'm gonna tell them, yeah, I'm gonna do it. First Presbyterians wanted to deny Dr. Mm -hmm. King, and you know what people really need to take into consideration. I want them to embrace. We're talking 1961. Civil Rights Act wasn't signed until 64. If, if you were black flying on an airplane, you were suspect. <laughs> there were a lot of troubles. And I know uh, one of the things that Reverend McKinney said, Dr. King said, yeah, you know, he can't be flying across the country again all the way up here. So we were blessed to have him, to have him those three days. Uh, also, I'm, I'm hoping that something's gonna come out, come out about um, our county being the only county, Martin Luther King Jr. County in the nation with that name and about the people that have done it. That's gonna be incorporated, I, I believe, in the history section of it when we reflect. Lanisha? Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Because I'm, I'm looking at Eddie, all the things that you did to get this, this county's name yeah. changed. And truly, you're gonna be speaking on that, aren't you? Absolutely, well, that story is a, is a central part of this three-day commemoration 60 years later. King Martin Luther King Jr. County, Washington, is the only county that bears his name because of individuals like Brother Eddie Wright Jr. and um, Brother Larry Gossett, who will be coming on the show shortly. That sense of vision and innovation will definitely be uh, centered and celebrated during this three-day commemoration. Now, didn't, didn't Larry play basketball for Franklin? Yeah, after he left Garfield. Uh-huh. You see, Eddie, huh? What did you say? Yeah, he, but he was, he, was, he was there as a sophomore in 61 uh, when Dr. King spoke, so he actually heard him. And then later on, Larry will tell his own story. When he was in uh, uh, Vista Volunteers, he was in New York, and he was in a march with Dr. King. That was back in, in 1966. So he's going to be able to talk about that. But Alicia, I also want to let you know, I have contacted uh, Martin Luther King III, and uh, he might be on the program uh, the, uh, next the next Thursday. Uh, he had a conflict today, and he and my daughter Angela are friends. And he also met with Larry and I. We were in the process of changing the name of the county. We want to we had to have the the the, uh, the family's buy off on this whole thing. So 
And then uh, we got another endeavor called the MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative that I just sent off to the King family as well. So, uh, Anisha, uh, once again, give uh, the folks now, do we have chairs of the committees and is there information going to be public? I don't want to put anybody's information out, but if they're on the committee, because <clears throat> we want to have people contacting, and I, maybe I'm ahead of you, but I, uh, I think it'd be good to have, uh, first of all, I think a, 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 a website as well as uh, uh, the contact information for the people who are uh, chairing the various committees, folks that want to volunteer. Because a lot of people say, you know, we hear about these things, but we never get the information to participate or volunteer. I want to make sure that, you know, it's about Martin Luther King, full transparency. Anybody that believed in love and believed in the beloved community and believed in Dr. King are welcome to participate. Absolutely, yes. We will be developing all kinds of um, engagement collateral with this, including a website and um, just all, we, we're just getting to the theme, which will be an inspirational call to action for our community. And then from that theme, we'll be developing the website and all of the other materials for this event. And so we just encourage individuals to contact NAM at our web at our email address that's info at naanw.org. Info at namnw.org, or they can give us a call and or visit our website. All of our contact info is there, and they can contact us that way. We have a variety of subcommittees, a marketing subcommittee, a programming subcommittee, and all kinds of subcommittees that they can jump right on and uh, work shoulder to shoulder to help us commemorate Dr. King's visit to Seattle. Okay, well, Anisha, I want to thank you very much. And uh, uh, I guess I got one meeting, uh, I think someone has sent me for 12 noon on Monday and then another meeting at four o'clock on Monday on my calendar. Yes, oh, wonderful. <laughs> this, yes, we are so grateful to have you and Brother Hayward involved in such key roles in this larger planning committee. It means so much that you are allowing us to make this event. Uh, this is our first media uh, discussion about this event, and it just means so much that it's happening here on your radio show. Thank you so much, Brother Eddie. Well, Anisha, thank you very much, and I look forward to continuing to work with you. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye now. Okay. Bye now. Okay. So anyway, we're going to hook up Larry Gossett, uh, former King County Council member Larry Gossett, uh, was in the audience at Garfield in the student body when uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke at two assemblies at Garfield. Uh, oh, Larry Gossett's calling me on my cell phone right now. <laughs> Larry, <laughs> you didn't forget, now. Uh, hang up, Eric's going to call you right now. Uh, everybody listening on, we're live on radio right now, but I've let him know I'm talking to you on, on my cell phone. So hang up so Eric can call you, okay? All right, thanks. Every now and then stuff like that happens, but you got to be transparent. So uh, I, I, I should have given Larry the phone number, and I just thought that uh, he had it from before. But anyway, those kind of things happen. But during this break, I want to say that I want to wish, uh, before we talk to the former county council member, I want to wish uh, King County Council Member Gourmet Sahali a happy birthday. Today is his birthday. Uh, he's been a guest a couple of times on Urban Forum Northwest. He's doing good things in the community. And uh, we'll be meeting with him soon on a very a number of other issues. And uh, in about a week or two, we'll be having a program to reveal uh, 
uh, a new initiative called the MLK Gandhi Empowerment Initiative. So we're going to wait for a few folks, key people to be uh, prepared to go on that one. Now we do have former King County Council member Larry Gossett, civil rights leader extraordinaire. So uh, Larry uh, just got off with Lanisha de Bartleman, and every time we mention Martin Luther King, your name comes up because you've been around for so long. But Larry. Yes, sir. Larry Gossett. Yes. Tell tell everybody why they say I told people you were you heard uh uh Martin Luther King Jr. when you were a sophomore at Garfield, and then yeah. somebody said, Well, he was he was second team all city at Franklin as a, a point guard. Now how'd that happen? I went to Garfield uh as a sophomore and I went to Franklin as a junior and senior. And I was on Garfield's third team the first of three years that Garfield won the state championship. They won it again when I was a junior and senior, but Franklin, we always came in second place. So I went to both schools, Eddie. Okay, I just I wanted to, to clear up. I went to two senior proms. I went to Garfield and Franklin's my senior year. Oh, player, player. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay. Play, uh. <laughs> yeah. So but, uh, I, I was I was there. Okay. Why don't you just share uh, with our listening audience? You know, uh, at that particular time, you were not a, a Black Panther. You were not leading. No, uh, I was on the BSU. I didn't know that. I didn't have that. You know, no civil rights consciousness. I was not awoke yet. Uh, I wasn't. I knew that discrimination existed, cause, you know, uh, but I wasn't in the movement, as they would say. However, Martin Luther King's speech had a great impact on us Garfield students, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. At that time, high school in Seattle did not have ninth graders. Uh, and Martin Luther King told us that he had been asked to come here by one of his uh, good friends at Morehouse College, when he was going to Morehouse, named by the name of the by the name of Reverend uh, uh, Samuel Barry McKinney. Samuel Barry and Martin went to college together. So when uh, uh, Reverend McKinney called him, he responded, found the date, a couple of days he could come to Seattle. And he came. The request from Doc, from Reverend McKinney uh, was that we want to spark, we want to stimulate an open housing uh, movement here in Seattle because black people are really being discriminated against in terms of securing rentals or home ownership opportunities in any other community except for the central area. And that's why Martin came, and he was successful. A lot of people started working on housing issues, uh, black, Asian, and white, after Martin uh, left. And while he was here, a lot of people in the powers that be did not want him to speak at big facilities because they were scared of him. And uh, he spoke at Garfield, and at the, uh, the Jewish people were very helpful at Temple de Hirsch. That, that held a thousand people, um, he, they did let him speak there. So those are the main places he spoke. And 
what he told the Garfield students is that you now live, and we were stunned. Martin Luther King told us that we now live in the fifth most segregated city in the entire United States. He said that 88% of all black people in Seattle lived in the central area, and that was the fifth most segregated situation in the whole country. Even though our black population was small. Well, Larry, they're forgetting. They're, Go they, ahead. They, they're forgetting about Holly Park, Yasser Terrace, and High Point, though. Yeah. Uh, I, after he spoke, uh, Reverend McKinney, because Martin couldn't know those times particulars, Reverend McKinney stood up and said, in response to a question, and most of the 12% that do not live in the center, I live in housing projects here in Seattle, Holly Park, Rainier Vista, Yesler Terrace, and High Point. So you're right on, on that. Yeah. So Martin had a... And, and it's kind of amazing how they moved, how they moved African-Americans out of public housing many years ago. It was yeah. too close to jobs and all the stuff like Yesler Terrace. Uh, those people have never been able to afford to move back to the esoterics. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's, that's been unfortunate. Uh, that reminds me, my I have an interesting story regarding the projects in the central area. And my daddy, we there was a, I don't know if you saw the article in last Saturday's paper uh, on, on the fact that there's still covenants that are in a lot of land policies in neighborhoods still in the greater Seattle area, still in Martin Luther King Jr. County that have not been uh, uh, eliminated. But anyway, in 1956, Naman Gossett, my daddy, uh, we were all living in High Point. Daddy had five kids born in High Point. I'm the, I'm the oldest. I was born when my daddy and mother lived in the Wamish Bend. I don't know if you ever heard of that project. Uh, oh, yes. So all six of yes. us were born when we lived in the project. Anyway, Daddy got a good job in the post office, and he was assigned to work as a mailman at the West Seattle Post Office. So when he accumulated a, enough money to buy a house, and remember houses were only fifteen to 25000 back then, he, um, he wanted to live in, in West Seattle, so he went to not one but two realtors in West Seattle. And both of them told me, Mr. Gossett, we cannot show you Negroes houses in West Seattle or we would get run out. We have to show you houses in the central area because that's where, the only place where uh, blacks can buy homes at this time. And he was very disturbed. He was upset, but he didn't, he felt there was nothing he could do. So they showed him three houses in the central area. We bought one on the corner of 18th and Alder, right around the corner from the Rotary uh, Boys Club in the summer of 1956. And we're just an example of what happened with black people in Seattle at that time. And now, uh, you know, we discovered those restrictive covenants when we unveiled the first redlining report in the city of Seattle back in 1973. Yeah, that's what I got. And because I know that... Uh, yeah. Remember, I was with you all when, Eddie, you led us to draw red lines around the first bank, because it wasn't the Bank of America. 
downtown. It was, it was we, yeah, we and, and my cousin, and, and, and it was really funny. Huh? Yeah, it was in the mid 70s. Yeah, but my cousin, Taurus McCall, my first cousin, was uh, had just got a job at Bay, at Seafirst. And they, they had us on the on the security camera, and he started sweating profusely. So they said, "Is something wrong with you?" He said, "Oh no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine." He said, "He said, yeah, I didn't tell me, I didn't tell him you were my cousin, though." Oh. <laughs> his, his wife was pregnant. He just got the job, so I had to take care of cuz. I said, "Man, don't don't give me up. We're not related yeah. until after you leave work." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Larry, going back to. Uh, um, uh, uh, on the so 60th uh, anniversary of Dr. King's visit to, to uh, Seattle, uh, 60 years later, uh, how do you see us? We're, there are definitely a lot fewer black folks in the city of Seattle. A lot of has to do with the economic apartheid, as I call it, that's plagued uh, uh, this area for a while, and then not having affirmative action for 23 years. And did you know that I-200 did not kill affirmative action? Governor's directive did not kill affirmative action. A governor's directive 9801 killed yeah, affirmative I, action. No, I didn't know that. I thought. Yeah, we, 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 anyway, that's what I, I get mean, to talk to Jesse Weinberg. All over the city. Remember, because we all mobilized against it, is that they had said, white voters, if y'all support this, we won't have uh, minorities and some women getting preference over us and jobs. That's how I was sold. So no, yeah. I didn't know that I-200. No, well, you'll hear about it a little later, but there was a governor's directive that that uh, that really caused all this. But Larry, we want to have you back on periodically on this uh, leading up to this visit. I mean, this anniversary of Dr. King's visit, 1961 yeah. visit I to Seattle. To opportunity to talk about how we named this. Uh, county is the only geographic area in the world named after Dr. King. Uh, we're going to have between now and November, and we can do that. As a matter of fact, I think okay. uh, Martin Luther King III will be on next week. Okay. Uh, if he is, I'd like to have you on with him as well. All right. No, no. Okay. Right. All right, Larry G. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, Eric, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Dr. E. Bay Williams after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tequila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. 
Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150kknw. All right, Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest with our next guest, Dr. Ife Williams, uh, CEO and National Chair of the National Congress of Black Women, a radio host, a, a columnist, Trace Edney uh, columnist. He's uh, often featured almost every other week in the Seattle Medium newspaper. You can read her there. And uh, now she has a book that uh, she has launched. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's on Eddie Rye's uh, Facebook page. If you're my Facebook friends, you can see the cover and how to get your copy right there. So Dr. Ife, how you doing? And let's go right to the book. When did you get started? I, is this your first one? And how you doing? I am blessed and highly favored. And no, this is not my first book, uh, but this is the first one I expect to go on the bestseller list with as soon as long as my friends purchase the book. And, you know, I'm like Mr. Gregory. I decided I want everybody to have my book, so I lowered the price just so that everybody who wanted to, even if you don't make but seven twenty-five an hour, I'm trying to get that raised, of course, to $15 an hour at least. Um, but everybody can afford my book, so I hope that you will go. Uh, I'm glad you put the flyer out. They can go right from the flyer. If they lose the flyer, they can always call me, and I can tell them how to get it. But the book itself is called Wake Up and Stay Woke. As you know, that's the name of my radio program also. And where I got the Wake Up and Stay Woke from is from Mr. Gregory. He would, The day that he transitioned, he actually was telling people to wake up and stay woke. Uh, as long as we're, uh, we, we're not awake, you know, we are, are not doing the things that we need to be doing. There's so much to be doing these days. He has worked so hard to get us to where we are. Many people don't know that he was far more than a comedian. He worked the civil rights uh, movement, and when he did that, he gave up millions of dollars in order to go down south in dangerous Mississippi, Alabama, etc., went up against police chiefs and sheriffs and dogs and everybody just to help us gain the right to vote. And then sometimes people don't have an appreciation for that, but, you know, also up there in the Northwest, he helped the, uh, the Indians with their fishing rights. It didn't That's matter right. if it was something. That's right. He didn't mind putting himself, his body actually, on the line. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And he was my mentor. He, he certainly did. I recall that <laughs> he would get arrested a few hours under the squally, the fish hands, and they would take him to, for whatever reason, to the Pierce County or Tacoma Jail. And he'd go on a hunger strike, and after a few days, the people get scared and put him out. You don't want nothing to happen to him in here. And his <laughs> wife also worked closely with uh, the, the Native women as well in those, right. those two tribes. She actually stayed in um, prison while he went out across the country to gain support for their rights, you know, because he, he also felt that, well, now that I'm out, I need to be doing something out there to get people to understand what is going on here with our bro Native brothers and sisters. Mm. Well, let's, let's turn to your book right quick. Uh, give, us, give us some highlights about that. And then also, uh, you were saying, get, I, I want to be challenging the sororities and fraternities, uh, the Masons and others to buy the books and distribute them to the people that might not have the resources. 
or take them to senior citizens or take them to uh, daycare centers so mothers can pick them up and fathers can pick them up uh, to churches. Uh, the churches should also get involved as well because you're also an ordained uh, minister as well. I am. I am. Yes. Um, that's uh, that's another one of my jobs. I, I have a lot of them, but you know, I I take it from my mom when we were little kids. She would have us going around the neighborhood getting petitions signed. See, we lived way back in the country, and we didn't have a bus. And the reason we didn't have a bus to get to school on, we had to walk, was because we didn't have roads. So she, first of all, did the petition to get the road graveled, you know. Uh, when you live back in the woods, you use gravel, not pavement. But we did that first, and then, of course, we had to do the petition to get the bus to pick up not just her children, but all the children in the neighborhood. So that was my uh, introduction to activism. And then I met uh, Dick Gregory, and, of course, you couldn't be a real friend of his without being willing to go on many of those uh, trips. Like you probably know, we worked on the BP case uh, all across mm-hmm. the country, all across the world, actually, because we went to London and other places to try to get British Petroleum to pay people for the damage they had done to them. We were there for the Trayvon Martin, um, uh, uh, you know, things that we had to do to protest what was going on there for Jordan Davis. Uh, there's just so many I worked with him on, and I'm so pleased that I had a chance to do that because I feel that I could stand up for any right that is that is good, that is for justice, that is for human beings. And that's what I wanted people to know. I mean, there are a few of his jokes in the book, but um, mainly I'm concentrating on the other side of Dick Gregory that many people might not know. Uh, we were uh, around each other so much that when people ask me, what do you think Dick Gregory would say about you know, one subject or another, I said, well, I don't have to think. I know what he would have said about that. <laughs> I want to see if my co-host, Hayward Evans, has a question or comment for you, Dr. Ife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Ife, Dr. Williams, it's so great to have you here today. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, at some of the books, so we can go all the way back. The truth shall set you free. Oh, yeah, that's another the, one, right. You wrote that, but, but they go together. The truth mm-hmm. shall set you free. Now, wake up, stay mm-hmm. woke. And run for your life. I just love it. It sounds like... Uh-huh. And I had one before that called Be Angry, but Be Constructively Angry. You know, just plain old anger can consume and destroy you, but then when you're out there working to make the change, it's more positive and you're proud when you have been able to accomplish something. And it's not always just for yourself. It's for other people who maybe cannot speak for themselves. They may be afraid. It may be because of their job or what have you, but uh, we, we are always were willing to step out there and do what we could to make the change that matters. I love what you're saying, because it sounds like a beautiful transition in life in, in terms of spirituality, our existence, how we relate to society, how they relate back to us. But I'm looking forward, and I know Eddie's mentioned it before, you coming to Seattle. And, and we have all these books stacked up around you because you end up getting writer's cramp. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. And Wonderful. I'm going to encourage everybody to pick up that book because I'm going to pick up your book. Well, thank you so much. And I hope that all of what I write, even my articles, will inspire someone to do something. If uh, the people in your area read my articles, they will know that I try to put something into those articles that will move people to action, you know, to do something about it, because, you know, just getting angry or plain old anger can consume and destroy you, but when you get up and you go out to, to try to make a difference in it, you feel good about it uh, when it's accomplished or you've moved the needle up, because you don't always accomplish exactly what you want, 
But if you set the, you know, the, the, the pattern for that, uh, you stage it, then somebody comes after you and makes improvement on that, and that's what I try to do. You, you know, I'd like to start listening to some of those Dick Gregory tapes. I wonder if they're still around somewhere. Well, um, fairly soon we're going to have a website up, the Dick Gregory Society, of which I am president, and that's where we're going to be promoting uh, Mr. Gregory. Um, and you, you will be able to actually hear some of his speeches, some of his advice uh, that he gives. Uh, that should be ready in just a few weeks, perhaps by the time the book is on the market, which should be about a month from now. Uh, I'll be getting my first copy tomorrow. Uh, right now we're just in the pre-order stage, and you know you need to do the pre-order so that you can get to a best, a, being a bestseller book, and then that, of course, helps you sell even more books when people read that it, is, it has been labeled a bestseller. But uh, a lot of that happens in the pre-order stage, stage just like now. That's why I'm encouraging friends to go ahead and get the book now. And uh, whenever I come to your town, I'll autograph it if you wish. Or mm-hmm. if you're ordering it you know, directly from me where I have books, then I can all autograph it before. But most people are going to be ordering from the company. And the company uh, that's my publisher is a black-owned company. Uh, when I first heard about them, I decided I was going to have my book published by a black company. And so what's the, what's the name of the company if we want to order the book? How should we go about ordering? Okay, I think um, I, I think uh, Mr. Rise said that he put it up on Facebook. It's, it's on my Facebook page. So, I, I put everything on her picture and all the, the information phone number on the book. Is there so that you can just call yeah. the company, say, if you wanted to use a credit card, just call the number on there. Um, and also you can do cash app. Um, there, there's several ways, or you can mail a check or whatever, but uh, there's several ways that people can pay. Uh, can pay. Mr. Gregory, again, always, always told me don't just put up something, anything like social media, what have you, because your grandmother doesn't know what all that is, so you need to make it possible for her to order or to, <laughs> to speak out on something by yes. using a system that she would understand. That's very true. Well, Dr. Ife, I'm going to be encouraging organizations to buy in bulk, including the churches mm-hmm. and uh, sororities, yeah. fraternities, mm-hmm. and other folks uh, that have organizations like Blacks in Government uh, and get them get the books out in people's hands. So, Dr. Ife, I want to thank you very much today for your time and for all your efforts and for the conversation this right, afternoon. Thank you and You're always I was, so supportive, and I love you for that. I try to do the same thing for our people who are doing things. And you're doing good things for our people. That's why I appreciate you. I'll be behind you all the way because you're doing it for the right reason. Okay, love love you too now. Thank you. (laughs) All right, listeners. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Eric, we're going to take a break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, 
visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on link light rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. All right, here with Evans and Eddie Ryan back in the Urban Forum Northwest with uh, Attorney Jesse Weinberg, the leader of the Equity Now campaign, trying to get the governor to sign an executive order or to release, rescind a governor's directing to still an affirmative action. And uh, Jesse, uh, it was good to hear today that uh, the 32nd the Legislative District Democrats voted unanimously to support equity now. And uh, I did send, uh, we're, we're glad you was able to get me with Ms. Lily Hawkins. Uh, we'll get her on the air eventually. She and Winona hollis Haig were the leaders of the movement out in the 32nd district. So I did send Winona a text for her to call in. Uh, we had problems hooking up, you know, very last minute. But, but why don't you give us an update? Because other things, Jesse, how people want to hear about the $6 billion man. What's his last name? Tom who? Uh, that's uh, that's Thomas Ahern. That's attorney Thomas Ahern. Yes, Jesse Weinberg is on the phone. Uh, hey, what are you there? The... Hello? You, okay, go ahead. You clicked off. Go ahead. Yes, I said that that's attorney Thomas Ahern. He's with Foster Garvey Law Firm. And uh, if people Google the McCleary decision, which was the landmark decision in Washington State, that mandated uh, that the state fund our K through 12 public schools, uh, uh, not uh, with uh, chump change, but with real dollars that will uh, deliver a quality education. Uh, that case ended up uh, 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 being a victory for all of our kids uh, in in our K through 12 system. And the case was litigated uh, by Thomas Ahern, who has won, uh, who won the uh, judgment uh, that uh, adds up to six billion, billion with a B, six billion dollars to our public school districts uh, every year, not just one time, every year. The legislature is duty bound to spend no less than six billion dollars every year on on our uh public school systems throughout the state well sure though this is how he fits in with the equity now campaign uh uh, mr ahern has also been uh our lead uh legal counsel uh uh, on on the i-1000 campaign on the uh, i-1300 campaign and now on the equity now uh executive order campaign and so 
Um, he has uh, everything that we are doing now in terms of rescinding uh, Governor's Directive 9801, which uh, went uh, well beyond the scope of, of, of I-200 in terms of ending affirmative action programs, is a legal issue. Uh, the executive order is a legal issue. Uh, if we have to go to court, it will be a legal issue. And so uh, we are proud to have uh, one of the state's uh, finest uh, attorneys. And, and certainly I don't think there's any other attorney that can boast of a $6 billion a year settlement uh, uh, other than Thomas Ahern. And he is committed uh, to this issue and has, uh, as I said, been with us uh, since uh, uh, 2018 when we launched I-1000, which passed the House and the Senate, gathered more signatures than any other issue um, uh, in Washington state history as an initiative to the legislature. Even though it, it uh, came 1% away from passing on the ballot, it is still the fuel that moves us forward with this executive order. Now, now why don't you give our listeners an update? Uh, we just heard that uh, Winona Hollins Egg and Lillian Hawkins uh, led the charge in the 32nd District Democrats to have them endorse equity now unanimously. So what, how can people get information? What can they do? And where is the negotiation with the governor's office at this juncture? Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm really proud of the sisters in the North End. Uh, you gave their names. Uh, uh, I called them the new law firm, <laughs> even though neither of them are lawyers of, of Haig and Hawkins. Uh, Winona, I'm sorry, Hollins Haig and Hawkins. Uh, uh, Winona Hollins Haig, uh, sister uh, who uh, uh, grew up uh, in the CD uh, on Cherry Street, uh, went to Garfield High School, the University of Washington, is now a master's in social work and a member of Delta, proud member of Delta Sigma Theta. Uh, she uh, uh, led the fight with Lillian Hawkins, a young sister who graduated with honors from the University of Washington also. And their goal, their focus is education. Uh, so that, that's clear. They want to keep the doors open for young uh, uh, women uh, of, of color who, who are going to uh, uh, hopefully uh, go through those doors and earn degrees like they did. And the only way we do that is by rescinding that uh, governor's directive 9801. So they were able to get the first Democratic uh, organization, the 32nd District Democrats, to vote unanimously uh, on a resolution urging the governor to sign Equity Now executive order. And so now, uh, in terms of how, what other people can do, uh, you, no matter where you live in Washington State, you have a legislative district Democrat organization. Go to uh, uh, WashingtonDemocrats.org, uh, put in your uh, address, and you will know what your legislative district is, you contact those folks or, or contact us at 202-701-4188 so we can uh, send you into your legislative district Democratic organization like they went in to uh, get those folks to vote in favor of urging Governor Inslee to sign the, the Equity Now executive order. Well, I've uh, asked both, and thank you for the kind of hookup with uh, Ms. Hawkins, uh, Lillian Hawkins, and I also invited, I know it was a short notice, but also invited Winona to come on the program as well. Uh, so we'll have Winona Hollins Haig on, if not this week, then a few in the next few weeks. So we want to keep this momentum going. That's why I'm going to talk about it every week 
because uh, we have been shortchanged for 23 years. And the state says that uh, we have uh, been part of a group that's lost out of almost $4 billion worth of opportunities over the past 23 years. Because there was a misapplication of Initiative 200 uh, diverted by Governor's Directive uh, 9801. Uh, could you take a minute and share with our listeners the difference between I-200 and the, where I-200 stops and where the Directive, uh, Governor's Directive 9801 takes over and the width and breadth of the Governor's Directive? Sure, uh, it's, it's very easy. The I-200 uh, uh, initiative that was passed only asked for one change to be made in the law, that if there were any programs that enabled a, a lesser qualified person to be selected over a more qualified person for a job, a public job, a public contract, or certainly a seat in college, that that should be banned. Um, and that's all that the voters passed back in 1998. But when it got uh, implemented, uh, it was implemented uh, to eliminate uh, affirmative action based on race and gender uh, for anything, not just for a lesser qualified person getting an opportunity over a more qualified person, but uh, uh, to, to apply for a job, to be hired for a job, to, be, to win a contract, to be uh, it, it, it considered for uh, to get into college or graduate and professional school. And so that's why uh, the, the state has since come out and uh, announced that women and minority-owned businesses have lost over $4 billion because they, they have not been uh, recruited uh, for and, and made aware of the contracting opportunities because of race. We saw recently in the city of Seattle, they were going to do a BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, uh, People of Color uh, funding, and they had to uh, 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 stop uh, what was uh, uh, slated as a hundred million dollars, and they used I two hundred. Well, I two hundred didn't say anything about funding uh, 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 organizations, not anything. And so uh, we have to have the executive order, and and we need it now to correct what is a wrongful implementation and interpretation of a simple law. And the reason we need people to support it is because the governor. Uh, there's nothing that guarantees that the governor is going to sign an executive order. There's nothing that guarantees if a governor does sign an executive order that it's going to include our language to rescind Governor's Directive 9801. So that's why the people need to speak now. They need to uh, not ask for their rights tomorrow or next week or next month. We want all of our rights. We want them here, and we want them now. And I echo that. I mean, you know, we need to... Uh make sure that we have them here and now. 23 years is a long time for anybody to wait. I mean, that's suffering. That's how uh, the black community lost the central area. Uh, that's what happened to our businesses. And I can think of uh, quite a few people that were just kind of forced out of business. And unfortunately, uh, our governor Gary Locke was the governor at that time. So uh, that, that's his directive. And, you know, it's just something that, you know, he has to own up to. I'm glad to see that he's been trying to stand up with the latest initiatives to restore affirmative action. The boy, 23 years of 9801 really wiped out the black community. I mean, I know it hurt others, but uh, it, uh, like they say, when when other people uh, uh, have a sniffle, we have we get the flu or pneumonia. So uh, right. I'm glad you're on it, Jesse. We're going to have something on every week until for the duration of this campaign until Governor Jay Inslee rescinds 9801 and signs executive order. So, 
Amen. Thank you for being available today. Keep our listeners updated. We appreciate it. Thank and you. Make, next Thank week, you. maybe we can, we can work out to get uh, Mrs. Hawkins and uh, uh, Miss Winona Holland's egg on to talk about how they were able to orchestrate and advise some other uh, uh, Democratic uh, uh, districts to join others, righteous thinking people to jump on board. So thank you very much. Right, Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. I uh, want to give a shout out to uh, uh, Leslie Jones and John Tay Robinson at Sound Transit, the Port of Seattle Diversity Contracting Office, Me and Rice, the C City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services Office, Liz Alzir with Jesse and Mark down there, Concourse and Sessions with Dave Pukahara. SeaTac Bar Group with my friends Jerry Whitsitt and Rod O'Neill. Uh, Stephanie Ogle does our website. And Haber, what kind of announcement do you have to come up with? What are we working on? Uh, which one? We're working on the, uh, uh, Rev I mean, you can't do it. We're working on Dr. King, November, uh, what is it? The, the uh, 5th, 6th, and 7th, or 7th, 8th, and 9th. Anyway, we have a, a couple of months before, before we get to it. So, but, uh, we also have some more people in too, because it's very important to see how widespread the support is for equity now. And I want to congratulate Dow Constantine and Tabor 100 for having the county executive signed off on the equity initiative earlier this week. Uh, hopefully we'll have uh, Dow Constantine on county executive next week. Uh, we also have extended an invitation to Martin Luther King III. Heard back from his office as a possibility we'll have him on next week. And we'll definitely uh, uh, get Maxine, Congresswoman Maxine Waters back on and a, a few other members of the Congressional Black Caucus so we can stay up on what's happening with this disenfranchisement and this voter suppression legislation that's going around in almost every state. But to be a Black in the military right now in a foreign land, I would feel awfully funny if somebody said, what are you fighting for? You can't even vote at home. So uh, it's a good thing that they have America's the longest war has ended. I'm glad. I appreciate President Joseph Biden for bringing the troops out of Afghanistan. Uh, the Taliban's not keeping me from voting. So Republicans, you can go and fight the Taliban yourself. It's amazing how you talk all this talk, but none of you guys walk the walk. So if you really want to get a volunteer army and go fight the Taliban, Republicans, but as far as I'm concerned, we need to fight for our rights to vote right here in the United States of America and deal with the other oppressive measures that we have to deal with. Thanks, Eric. Hey, we'll talk to you later. Just talk to y'all next week. Yeah.